What's up, Accelerators? Welcome to Normalize It, the show where we speak about and explore the business of disability inclusion and accessibility. I'm your host, Cam Baudouin, and on each episode, I'll be interviewing leaders, professionals, and people with lived experiences, and we'll be discussing the challenges, successes, and strategies on how to make this world a more inclusive place. As you know, many organizations are still trying to figure out disability inclusion through a trial and error method. That's inefficient. Stick around to the end of the show to find out how we can fix that. So whether you're an advocate, entrepreneur, business owner, stakeholder, VP, or just someone who's interested in the world of disability inclusion, this show is for you. Let's dive into it. Aditya, welcome to the show. So happy to have you on today. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Here's how we got to start the show. I always want to start with the question, why is this important? Because enough of us get that question from the leadership teams, from executives, from stakeholders who say, you know what, I don't think this is important. So how do you answer that question, Addy? When someone comes to you and says, why is this important? How do you answer? So when we're, because the show is about neurodiversity, right? Uh, I want to talk about that. And before we begin, neurodiversity is the infinite range of differences in individual human brain functions and behavioral traits. So simply put, it just means we all think differently. Yeah. Typically, when we talk about neurodiversity and inclusion in the workplace, we include different lifelong conditions, learning difficulties, and learning disabilities. When we talk about neurodiversity, it is important to hear from people with lived experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's really important that we talk about neurodiversity in workplace inclusion, mostly because it's a term that people are not familiar with. And they may shy away from that, but... The biggest problem there is that so many of these forms of neurodiversity are invisible. Right. And it's even more important that we actively talk about it so that people don't get forgotten. If you look at teachings of neurodiversity that have been steeped into the social model of disability, there really is an understanding that neurodiversity is a competitive advantage to help leverage skills that are not associated with the norm, but have additional layers of creativity, mm-hmm. critical thinking, problem solving, and pattern recognition. This is part of the reason why I'm so open and honest about this and why I wanted to speak here today, because I want to destigmatize these conditions in the way of linear thinking that, that have been put in place from a society structure, which confined us to think a certain way. Individuals just think differently, mm-hmm. and that can be harnessed for a greater power if we just recognize that absolutely absolutely yeah you said that magic word and i got so excited when you said destigmatize because that really is what what it's all about right when we can start to talk about any type of disability but especially some of the invisible disabilities which many people have that starts to bring them out in the light and allows people that safe space to even talk about it. I've heard stories of people. In fact, I had someone on my show earlier this year who was talking about that. He was giving a presentation and then someone who'd worked at an organization for 17 years, something like that, finally admitted to all of his colleagues and everyone else that he has uh, dyslexia. And he was finally able to admit that to his colleagues and say that, you know, he works extra hard at night. And the accommodation was already there for him. So I love that when we talk about that word destigmatize, it is so, so, so valid that we get give people the confidence to be able to speak about that openly. So I, I love that's why I really wanted you on the show here. But let's, let's learn about this. So how has ADHD affected your learning style? We talked about that a little bit in, in the intro about you. Tell me about that. How has ADHD affected your learning style? So there are three types of ADHD, oh. primary inattentive, primary hyperactive, and there's a combination of both. Okay. And I'm a combined type with mild dyslexia. 
that's a double-edged word for me when it comes to reading long walls of text. And I essentially what happens is when I'm reading and I get to the bottom of the page, I doesn't make sense to me because either I wasn't paying attention or I failed to grasp the topic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So learning the information by memorizing is difficult for me, but it, when it comes to synthesis and maybe application, my brain works really well. The major caveat being that I have to be interested in the subject or right. I don't retain anything. I think that's a, that's a common thing, uh, people with ADHD, that you have to really be motivated to learn the subject. And I'm thinking if I was a business owner and I had to, or I wanted to make sure that I gave my employees or the people uh, you know, I'm trying to hire, I'm trying to find a new role, trying to find a new job, something like that. The best way to accommodate people with ADHD is probably to avoid that long wall of text, right? Maybe you can give me some other ideas of how I would, uh, you know, cater really to employees or, or new applicants, uh, with ADHD. So I'll give you a, uh, an example of that. We work in accessibility. The right. biggest wall of text that we're the two is the WCAG guidelines. Oh, I printed those out a long time ago, and I think I still use them as scrap paper for uh, for the back of my notes here. The reason how I had to manage my ADHD in the workplace, especially when it came to like WCAG, was I'm a visual learner. Yeah. So the minute I got onto the W3C page and I was like, this language is really difficult to read, got out of it, texted one of my buddies who works in accessibility and is a blind user. I'm like, hey, can you share your screen with me and just run me through how you would navigate a page. Sure. I saw how it interacted with the different elements on mm -hmm. the page, what the expected behavior was, and I, everything just sunk in. I understood that. And then I went back to the WCAG and referenced that. And it wasn't dry anymore. Yeah. But I will say this, that if you've met one neurodivergent person, you've just met one neurodivergent Absolutely. Person. Yep. Everybody has different ways of learning. So I think the best way is to ask, hey, does this work for you? Mm -hmm. If not, what can I do to help you learn? Absolutely. Yeah, you bring up that word that keeps coming up is, is uh, like different learning modalities, right? Different ways of, of learning. And I know in a lot of workplaces right now, there's a lot of people who struggle with self-identification as well. I don't want to admit that I have ADHD or dyslexia or any other kind of uh, neurodiverse, uh, I, I, that I'm neurodiverse. And so there is that idea that I don't want to admit too much. And so just asking, right, sometimes even difficult because admitting comes to be the very first. So I'm thinking if I was to hire you, right, and you were in my large organization, if you, if I was a leader in an organization, how does the business conversation really come around for ADHD, accessibility, neurodiversity? How do I help make that space a little bit better for, for some of my employees? I think it all begins with the hiring practices. It's, it's not about many people jump to the conclusion that, oh, I, I need to provide accommodations. Right. But it's about giving them the opportunity in the first place. Mm-hmm if the job application isn't accessible or if the job description isn't clear enough, you're not even going to have access to those employees. Right. So a couple of things about job descriptions and when it comes to people who are neurodiverse is communication. Right. What I mean by that, it's clear and plain language. Mm -hmm. You don't want jargon. You don't want generic phrases. Well, some, sometimes we see a lot of things like must be a good communicator. Right. Or must have strong teamwork skills even if the role doesn't specifically require it. And that can, it's, it's open to interpretation mm -hmm. and that deter people from actually applying for it, even if they're skilled. Then there's 
you know, a bunch of generic skills that are listed in job applications, right? Which can confuse a candidate. Instead, probably want to narrow it down to specific skills, and then somebody who has ADHD may be like, "Oh, look, these are things I can identify with. They don't drain me of my energy, and that's where I can be most useful in that role." Right. Yeah. So that's that's it for the job description, yeah. and probably the application process has something to do with the recruiting as well. Mm-hmm. This is a tricky one because we're quick to blame the AI and the ATS systems, mm-hmm. saying that they didn't pick me, but it's actually human recruitment that has the bias. There is a human feeding in empirical and historical data into that machine in order to pick out the candidate, right? Yep. So if we can change that mindset, it's going to make all the difference when you're when screening applicants. I think I'm going to start to need a bell here every single time I hear someone say like something that's really good. Like you, plain language is is the most underrated criteria or or requirement for for anything it just helps so so much if you can reduce and make language simpler and and plain and easier to understand for everyone for everyone and the thing is even people who don't identify as neurodiverse you know if they just won't say it they just won't say that if they don't understand what it is they'll just say yeah 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 and continue on and that while the barriers may not be as as obvious or as present as someone with ADHD it doesn't mean they're learning or taking in any more either it's just that you know just kind of push it aside and say yeah i read the first you know two lines of this paragraph of 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 nonsense yeah nonsense in a lot of jobs <laughs> that i can just kind of push off to the next level or, or just, you know, kind of avoid it and stuff like that. Understanding and that, that plain language really helps everyone out. And I, and I don't think there's anything that I've focused on this year more than just simplification, even in the world of business, right? How do I simplify this to really its easiest way to understand? Because I want to make sure that everyone really is as clear as possible with how that, how that works. And what about, okay, so let's, let's flip it over here a little bit. If you were to have a practical, like if someone hired you to consult on ADHD or neurodiversity for a business, how are you even approaching that conversation? You're sitting down um, in front of a leader and, and they ask you, well, describe this for me. So how are you even approaching that conversation? That's interesting because something that I've always followed is when I, when I'm meeting with a C-suite, I tell them, Hey, I have a disability. Mm-hmm. And the way they react tells me everything. Oh, everything about their knowledge and experience with okay. interacting with somebody with a disability or mm-hmm. not. If they're really surprised and they're like, "You have two hands. You're standing. You have two arms. You can't have a disability." Right, right, right. I know exactly which way the conversation is going to go, and the other response could be, "Oh, I'm so sorry. You don't have to be sorry." And the other one is when. The body language changes, somebody's interested, their interest is peaked. They might have somebody in their family who has an invisible disability or just a disability, or they themselves might be, might have an invisible disability. A lot of people in upper management C-suite have invisible disabilities that they don't disclose. Absolutely. So that's the way I lead the conversation. And depending on how they react, it takes a different turn. If I know that they're all about business benefits, mm-hmm. You start talking numbers. Mm-hmm. You got to treat it as a pitch deck. When I know somebody's empathetic, then you go the inclusion route. Because if they believe that inclusion is a part of doing business and that's part of their values, they're going to appreciate live my lived experience. See, I think you're nailing something on the head here, right? What it really is, is know your audience, know who you're speaking to and know who you're being put in front of. And this is something that we don't do enough. I actually, uh, I'm going to tell a little story here that I heard recently that somebody was trying to research how the best way to sell to billionaires was, okay? Like 
when you talk about billionaires in the world, we're you know, probably a very, very, very small market. They were saying that to sell the billionaires, they were trying to sell condos or some kind of real estate. It wasn't to talk about beachfront properties or you know, 30-foot ceilings or things like that because really you can get that anywhere, right? You can get that absolutely anywhere. But knowing who their audience was, they understood that these are probably older white men or something like that. And what did they normally think about and care about? Their health, their generational wealth and things like that. Understanding who they were actually speaking to allowed them to cater and tailor their pitch, their information, their knowledge to that person themselves, right? And it's the exact same thing as what we're doing when we need to go talk to a lead or a business owner or a stakeholder to actually understand what their values are. You you just mentioned, you know, are they caring about like ROI or numbers or figures? Or do you know if they have somebody uh, in their family who might have a disability that you can really relate to? It's leaning on that empathy kind of style too. I think people's roles tend to lean into that, right? I'm going to speak differently to a head of HR than a head than a, than a chief technology officer, right? Absolutely. So when we're getting leadership buy-in, you have to appeal to each one of the C-suite members. Right. It's not going to be one size fits all. That's, right. that's the phrase I was looking for. And I think I think we see that a lot, even in accessibility, when you're trying to get that buy-in, right? Right. Uh, if I were to go to a CEO, I would probably pitch competitive advantage and differentiation or branding compared mm-hmm. to their competition. When it comes to the benefits of hiring neurodiverse people or maybe even accessibility, if it's legal, I'm going to maybe talk about the latest compliance or employment laws. CFO would benefit from reducing expenses. CIO would probably yeah. be increased IT operations, post remediation, maybe. CHRO attract and retain employees and really roll out their DEI agenda. Mm -hmm. CMO, head of marketing, probably increase sales, lower bounce rate on their websites if that's what drives their business. So we really have to tailor our conversation to the role and each individual person. Absolutely. Yeah. I think we could talk specifically about that for, for such for such a long time. But it's re- it's really important for, I think, everyone to hear that from different uh, speakers as well, that we can't always just go in saying, you know, this is the important thing to do. Because we all know it's important. And a lot of people also think that the environment's important or the Me Too movements or, or Black Lives. Like, these are all important movements. And if we don't tailor that message directly to the people who are listening, it's we're, we're not going to get as far in the organization as we want to be, as we need to be, right? Okay, going back to ADHD and neuro- neurodiversity. When I'm thinking about clients versus employees, we talked a lot about employees here. Let's flip mm-hmm. it all over here. So if I want to make sure that that my website, that my documentation, I want to tailor my message towards clients with, with ADHD or who are neurodiverse, uh, what do you suggest? What are some tips that you can offer for that? So I think there's a lot of overlap and I'll say this again, this might be a recurring theme in this talk, communication. Mm -hmm. It all revolves around communication when you're dealing with neurodiverse employees or clients. An example I can give you is, let's say you're trying to follow up on a deal and you're cold calling someone or just following up on the phone. They don't respond. It does not necessarily mean that they're not interested. They just may prefer a different mode of communication, email, asynchronous communication. And that's the same for employees as well. You just have to ask what works for them. Use of language when we're talking about communication. Sometimes clients, like I'll tell you from my perspective, because if somebody was pitching to me, I just prefer a direct pitch, like straight out, hey, this is what it is. This is what I can offer you. I'd rather they be direct and not dance around the fact that they're trying to sell me something. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of a lot of pitches revolve around that. 
I think same employees could benefit from the same thing. Just be direct, avoid ambiguous open-ended questions. Mm-hmm. Probably another thing would be breaking down questions into smaller chunks. Yeah. Because I personally tend to get stuck on details. Mm-hmm. And if you're asking me open-ended questions, I could just, just forget about what the point is. So right. having them broken down into smaller chunks will help get an open response out of me. And if, if I'm your client, I will give you everything. Mm-hmm. Something else I can think of is probably questions. I know I have a lot of questions, whether I'm an employee or as a client. Several questions that you may think aren't relevant, but the tip I would give is just assume that the other person who's asking all these extra questions mean well, and they're just trying to understand every facet of what they're taking on while trusting you as the expert. Yeah, I want to touch on that last one a little bit because that's a really interesting part here. How do we understand that... You know, people from different who who may be uh, neurodiverse are going to approach just situations maybe differently, differently. And I mean, we all approach situations differently. And sometimes I, I know I've heard of people speak of, uh, oh, it's like he asks way too many questions. Like, oh my god, like I don't want to get in the call with him because it's just way too much. And to some people, that's quite stressful. But that just may be the way that that person needs to take in information, right? And we just need to understand that that's just the way that that person needs to adapt to their surroundings, adapt to the situation that they're currently in. And I think that's a really powerful statement to remember as well, how, you know, again, we're now we're talking about plain language again and reducing the uh, cognitive load. I love that word cognitive load. I tend to use it in a lot of conversations nowadays, just because we all want to reduce the cognitive load that we are constantly be that is constantly seem to be elevating right ads and 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 salespeople and and youtube videos and everything is constantly adding to this load that we have to hold in our mind at all times so reduce 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 and simplify uh, really seems to be one of the key threads here absolutely i just like to add to that that um now that black friday sales are coming on Mm -hmm. i'm not having a good online experience wherever i go right right following me everywhere and because i have inattentive type of ADHD, I get distracted really quick. So mm-hmm. I'm like overstimulated by sounds, you know, anything that's out of the ordinary when I'm like concentrating. And when you have ad pop-ups or chatbot messengers that come up on a site, mm-hmm. I'm leaving. Right. I'm bouncing I, because I cannot concentrate. Well, wait, wait, wait. Maybe we should just say that to any e-commerce person here. He just said, <laughs> I'm leaving. Okay. He didn't say, I'm going to turn off the chatbot. He didn't say, I'm going to turn on focus mode. He said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I'm no longer participating or paying you money to buy things off your website. Okay. Like that was the main comment here. Okay. You are losing sales as a result of too much distraction, uh, poorly placed ads, uh, nuisance pop-ups, uh, over-marketing, and these are all things that are very controllable. And and the pull is when you get some of these marketers, I say the, like that sounds so negative, but when you go and get consulted by a advertising or a marketing firm, it says put pop-ups, put ads, like sign up for eBooks and sign up for this, put paywalls. And it is just so, it's just too much, way, way, way too much. Yeah, absolutely. So here we are now, I put some questions in here about, uh, l- we may have touched on these already, but do you have any other tips on how I can make my workplace better for my colleague who may have ADHD or who I know who has ADHD? Absolutely. Since we talked about the recruiting process, right? I think we'll go on to talk about maybe what happens after you get hired. Yeah. Many managers, like I think I've said this before, many managers are quick to jump on to the fact uh, that they want to provide accommodations, right? Right, right, right. But, but there are a couple of steps before that. 
and onboarding is such an overlooked fact when you're hiring a new employee who's neurodiverse. Many businesses have had the same onboarding process for years now, thinking that the one size fits all approach works. And I think that's absolutely not true. Some things that you probably do is taking the time to explain to a new hire how to book maybe new holidays, how your benefits packages work, right? medical appointments, you know, just right from the beginning so that they don't get confused later on. Provide your team with training on how to interact with somebody with your diversity just so they can be really prepared. Another thing that this personally happened to me, I worked at a Canadian pharmaceutical company back in 2020 before I did the accessibility thing and they had the icebreaker. I didn't really like it because they didn't ask me how that really worked for me. So because they think it's a traditional thing that's written in the HR and it caused some anxiety. And I think that is something that people should, or companies should also look into. Ask the hire, hey, are you comfortable with this? If not, how would you prefer to be introduced to your colleagues? Whenever there's large events that happen, we don't talk about disabilities there either. It's kind of like this, we like we just don't talk about it, right? Like it's, that's it. We just avoid it and it doesn't happen. But creating that structured onboarding plan to talk about, okay, step one is, is this, and you're going to join the organization. Then you're going to want to apply for your benefits because you have to do that. And then this is how you book your vacation. You're going to go into this system here and tool and do that and to actually walk people through. And the amazing thing, the amazing thing is this doesn't take much time. It really doesn't take a lot of time just to walk people through a really simple system. And a lot of a lot of uh, uh, tools are already out there to be able to record that process. And, you know, during an onboarding, you, an HR person is, you know, here's here's my video that I recorded just to show you how to uh, book some time. Again, different modalities and ways to learn and then opening up that option to to ask questions. Usually you'll have a buddy if you join an organization or some kind of onboarding process, HR person will help you join. Uh, but I mean, every organization is just a little bit different. But I think that I think that's great. Because if we can start to talk about that as early as possible in the hiring, or onboarding, or even just in the workplace environment, just the better it is. But I do want to talk about accommodations, because I don't want to shy away from the fact that there are a lot of accommodations that are provided that are beneficial. I know a lot of people jump right to it. There's a lot of people out there struggling right now with accommodations as well. They can't seem to get accommodations. And I want to talk about some of the accommodations that are available or that I've heard of being used by uh, people with ADHD. I'm going to throw out a few. If you've used any of these before, if you have any to add to it later on, please feel free. I've heard of noise-canceling headphones uh, that are very valuable and important. They don't actually play any music. It's just literally noise cancellation. I've heard of uh, focus rooms being uh, really important for for people with ADHD to use, uh, being able to like uh, excuse themselves from a larger group of individuals and go either work from their home office or work from an office in a, a focus room. What about you, Addy? Have you ever, uh, what other accommodations work well for you? Yeah, absolutely. So I would categorize accommodations into technical, HR related, and maybe situational. Good point. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, technical would be screen readers or maybe assistive technology and noise canceling headphones would probably fall under there. Mm-hmm. HR would probably involve some leeway to showing up late, maybe giving giving them some extra time to uh, work from home. If remote is an option, it's the best. Yeah. And because a lot of people prefer that or hybrid communication falls under HR again. Why I'm, I'm big on communication is if you can take that time out to cement that and nail it, then all the accommodations will just fall into place. And you don't have to think about it as accommodations because you're creating an inclusive workplace. Right, right, right. 
I feel like we should be replacing accommodations with inclusive practices. Hey, I love that. I love that because that's exactly what it is, right? Allowing people to work the way that they want. We're not robots. We're not factory workers. I'm having this conversation a lot with teachers lately as well. You know, what's the true output of what the school system is? And uh, I know there's teachers who listen right now and, and I don't want to get into a big debate on what that is. But, you know, we're, the output of schooling and the output of work isn't, we're not, we're not factory work. I'm not sitting there pulling a lever all day long. I'm hired to think and to act on my best decisions and allowing me the space to be able to operate like that in the way that makes me feel that I can work at my best. I'm going to pop up a few more comments here that I saw. Christian, this is you allowing movement breaks or standing desk, right? That's something that's hugely important, allowing people to move. Um, uh, uh, I'm just going to throw out fidget spinners or, or, or fidget devices, allowing people to have access to YouTube or Spotify, to have access to music or anything to calm down. I can't believe people still don't allow. I, I mean, I was once told in my workplace, Cam, can you take those headphones out of your ears, please? You were in an office setting. Are you kidding me, boss? I'm not going to be like, why are you telling me to stop listening to music? I work better with music, right? William's saying uh, breaks between interviews, get a bottle of water and snacks and just kind of refresh and take a, a few uh, intermissions, right? That's the word I'm looking for. Emmanuel is saying uh, dreaming of pods or sensory suppression places to be in calm or darkness uh, just to recharge. I would love that. I would love to see a workplace really integrate that. I know they are out there. I've heard of them out there. Any other ideas that uh, you want to throw out yeah. there? I'm actually using a sit-stand desk right now. Yep. And that really helps me focus rather than being immobile and just sitting all the time. And sometimes I work better when I'm standing. Yes, music. This is something I've been experimenting with a lot. Like I said, I get overstimulated sometimes with a lot of sound. So I have headphones in and I've been working with, you know, we've all heard of white noise when we sleep. Right. Been experimenting with brown and pink noise. Ooh, and I, good one. Shout out to Christian again for that one. He was the one who introduced me to that. And it's just the difference in frequencies that matter there. Mm-hmm. So if not music, because sometimes if I enjoy the music too much, I get distracted yeah. and I to do my work. Experiment with noise and different frequencies. Microsoft has a neurodiversity hiring program that stretches over four days. Now, they allow a candidate to have an informal setting with a hiring manager over the four days where they assess their skills leading up to the main interview on the fourth day. And I think this is a great example of that. Oh, cool. You know, you just got to point at Microsoft and say, hey, these guys are doing it. What's holding you back? Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about that a little bit? Or Yeah, some- yeah, let's jump into it. Go for it. Yeah. So Microsoft, right, they have a specific email ID that only neurodiverse candidates can like apply to their neurodiversity program. I think they started back in like uh, 2015. And you get to you get to go to the office or their headquarters, maybe in Seattle or in Redmond, California, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the four days to assess the actual skills in a non-conventional setting. Now, the important part here is once a candidate is hired, they have a job coach that's assigned to them to support both the employee and the hiring manager. Wow, cool. That's where the team manager and their team have access to neurodiversity training. And then the hire has access to uh, the larger ERG group, which then assigns them an internal mentor. So there is support across the board there. That's so cool. That is so cool. That is so cool. That's like a definitely a different way to uh, just to do business. You know what I mean? Like that, it's, it's a completely different way to do business. And it's not like as you were saying that I'm trying to like add up the costs of that. And it's like we're yeah. not talking about it's yeah. but but hold on. Like we're not talking about we're adding, you know, an entire team to support. Yep. Like, we're talking about incremental small change that we can make in 
the entire process to help an individual gain success in an organization. I think that's just great. I mean, for for companies who can't really afford to launch such extensive initiatives, they can partner with a neurodiversity workforce uh, intermediaries mm-hmm. who can actually help implement those like workforce protocols, like disability and yep. ability path. And I think they actually train, help train recruiters as well in disability hiring or recruiting. So that could be an option if you don't want to go all out Mm -hmm. or can't. This has been so great, super interactive. We've got so many, so, so many great comments here. Adi, was there anything else you wanted to add just before the end of the show here? I just think that, you know, the lack of inclusion is because of the lack of awareness around neurodiversity. Mm -hmm. The more you know, the more inclusive you are. I don't think anybody's excluding people on purpose. Mm -hmm. It's just that we don't know enough. Absolutely. got to talk about it. Yeah, that's a great way to close the show. And that's exactly what I think that a lot of people are starting to realize. And I hope a lot of people are starting to realize as well. There's still a perception sometimes in our industry that we need to shame and blame organizations. And really, people are just trying to, they're trying to do the right thing. They're really trying. And even when somebody downloads an overlay, and I I do not agree with overlays. I don't want to do it. But somebody somewhere that thought that was a good idea. They were misinformed. They were misguided. But they still said, hey, let me try this because I think this is the best decision. And we need to give them space to be able to learn more about the disability community and more learn about accessibility and the right way of doing that. Wasn't that a great episode? You probably have lots of new ideas swirling through your head right now. Now, how are you going to go and teach that to your boss, your team, or your clients? You need a strategy to move forward. Contact me today, hi at cambodwine.com, and let's talk about how we can move this forward in your organization or individual practice. If you could, right now, like and subscribe to this show. It really does help grow our reach to get more people involved and interested in disability inclusion and making the world a more inclusive place. And don't forget, you can also watch this show live on LinkedIn. Just find me there. It's every Friday at noon Eastern. See you next week.